Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 6 as we continue through our journey through Luke's Gospel. Time for a heart checkup. We're in our 40th week of Luke. We've made it up to chapter 6. Next week we will finish chapter 6 right by the end of the new year. Luke chapter 6, 43 through 45 is going to be our text this morning. But before we begin, let me ask you a question as I do each week is, have you ever heard that phrase, people are known and remembered? People are known and remembered for more for what they do than by what they say? You've heard that phrase, right? People are known and remembered for what they do rather than what they say. We, we can think of that today. You know, we, we see our politicians say, wear your mask. Don't go out and visit your family. Don't go out and eat. But then yet, every day there's a new expose where a mayor, a governor, or some health official is out without their mask or eating in a restaurant with someone else and we all get angry right there. That's hypocritical. But yet we know that, right? We're known by what we do rather than what we say. There's that old phrase, do what I, uh, do what I say, not what I do. That's the anti of that. You know, that's how we as parents try to do that. But it's we're known for what we do, not so much what we say. We, the hypocrisy lives deep within us. And we, we're very quick, especially our children are the quickest to point that out. Or I should say grandchildren now for me. Or maybe you've heard this. Maybe you've heard it come out of your own mouth. I didn't mean to say that. What you're really saying is I didn't mean to say that out loud. You know, that, that's not in me. Or you hear someone, especially after a, maybe a tragic incident, a crime, maybe something in the neighborhood. Uh, we see these all the time and neighbors and others will say, I didn't think he was capable of that. I didn't think that he would ever do something like that. We see these many times tragedy, maybe with children or young girls that are held captive or someone who will take their family and uh, murder them and then commit suicide. I didn't know they were capable. In other words, we just don't really know what's in the heart of people. And that's what we're going to get to the basis today, right to the heart of the matter, so to speak. Now, over the past several weeks, you and I have been exploring the second sermon of Jesus that's recorded in Luke's gospel, the Sermon on the Plain, similar to the Sermon on the Mount that's found in Matthew. The Sermon on the Plain has become known as directed towards Jesus' disciples. He's zeroing in. Many times Jesus would speak to his disciples in the crowd. And in this case, he's zeroing in. Now, others are listening to them, but he's directing them to the disciples, those who are the citizens already, citizens of the kingdom of God. And in the same way today, I'm talking to those of you, most of you that I know you have professed Christ, though there may be some of you that have not yet taken that step. But I'm speaking directly to disciples, people who are children of the Most High. Though there are many others that flock to hear him and teach and see him heal, this is directed directly to the disciples, those who have abandoned all and decided to follow Jesus. And in this sermon, Jesus is going to present his manifesto of an upside down kingdom of God where God's love reverses our value systems. Everything about the kingdom of God is upside down compared to the world in contrast 
to the world. The way that God does things is totally different. The values that we hold here on the earth are much different than what God truly values. Jesus proclaims that the kingdom of God will consist of radical generosity, servant leadership, peacemaking and forgiveness and discernment. Now, Jesus had finished telling his disciples that as sons of the Most High, they are to imitate the character of their father. We're speaking of the father in heaven, Yahweh. In demonstrating kindness and mercy to those that hate us, abuse us, malign us. And as children of God, they were expected to surrender their rights to retaliation, to seek revenge and for reparation, for for getting back their pound of flesh from those that have hurt them. In addition to that, they are to abandon all judgmental and condemning attitudes and behaviors that many of us hold, that resentment and bitterness that just resides within us for years. And instead, we're to demonstrate generous, generous forgiveness through the use of biblical discernment. It's called us to generously forgive those that harm us. And he continues his sermon today by warning them of the importance of performing a heart checkup, a cardiac checkup, so to speak, not only on themselves, but how they're to do that with others. So with that, here we find ourselves in Luke chapter 6, verse 43. You can follow along in the Bible. It's also here in the monitor where Jesus is teaching and he tells his disciples, for no good fruit bears or no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. Father, give us wisdom and discernment. I pray that you would call us to pay attention. Help us to to leave all distractions aside and to center our mind and focus on what your word has for us. Knowing that one day we'll stand in heaven and give an account for how we spent uh, these next 30 to 40 minutes. Lord, let me speak words that are edifying and building up. Let us know the difference between just my mere opinion and Father, the truth that's in your word. And may all that we do glorify you. And may we respond to the Spirit's work in each and every one of our hearts this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, this passage is building upon the previous statements of Jesus as we've been going through this sermon. Last week, Jesus warned them of becoming hypocrites in their observations and judgments of the motivations and the actions of others. In other words, when you're looking at others, don't be judgmental and condemning that's calling into a moral judgment until you have first examined your own life. Remember, why would you look at the speck of someone else's eye when you have a big old log? He's calling, don't be a hypocrite. In other words, take care of yourself before you try to help others. In opening this passage, we see the word for, that little preposition there, three-letter word. With using the word for, Luke is continuing his theme that demonstrates the consistency and the correlation between a source and a product. You understand those words? The source and the product. In other words, like teacher, the source, like student, the product. Like a tree, the source, like the fruit. Okay, the product, so on and so forth. And this one, it's like your heart, the product, or the source, you'll look at the product, your attitudes and your behaviors. So like teacher, like student, like tree, like fruit, like heart, like attitude and behavior. 
The issue that Jesus is addressing here is the need for the children of God to use wise discernment in relating with believers and unbelievers. And you remember that that was a skill of, of, of godly wisdom, of learning how to discern, to, to judge wisely between those things of Christ and others. He begins by stating the obvious, by using common sense proverbs to drive home the point that our attitudes and behaviors are dictated by the heart. He makes several observations. Number one, a healthy tree will bring forth what type of fruit? A healthy fruit, right? That will be ready to eat, be eaten and enjoyed. Whereas an unhealthy tree will bear rotten fruit that is not edible and is worthless. The third point he says is each tree is unique and it can be identified by the fruit it bears. If you were to ask me going around, what type of tree is that? What type of, you know, I'd have to look at its fruit. I'd have to look at what's growing from it. I don't know my trees. Some of you might, might, might be much better at that, but we can identify a tree. Each tree can be identified by what type of leaves it has, what type of bark it has. It's something that you can observe. And each tree can only bear one kind of fruit. You don't see a tree that bears apples and oranges and other things at the same time. No, an apple tree is going to do an apple tree. And then by that case, that apple tree will only produce that kind of apple. Could you imagine what it was when God was creating all these things? Look at all the different apples he created, all the types of oranges, all these different types of fruit. Just not just one apple and not one orange, but multiples of them. Well, one tree can only bear one fruit, one kind of fruit. Now, what he's doing is he's simply stating that one can easily identify the tree and the health of the tree by observing it through the natural senses, right? You know, taste, smell, uh, visual, looking at it, smelling it. And using the same phrase from last week, the, the proof is in the pudding. Remember, you, 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 a pudding may look good, but it's not until you taste it. We saw that last, uh, I think it was yesterday or the other day. I got uh, Don one of those grape cans of bubbly water, right? And it's, it looked good. I mean, the can looked nice. And, and Nolan sits down in my lap and he's always wanting something to drink. And so I said, do you want some of this? And he goes, yes. And I, I give him a drink of that bubbly water and you should have seen the expression on his face. It was precious. <laughs> so the proof is in the pudding. You got to taste it to know whether the pudding is truly as good as it looks. And so thinking of that, in the same way we said, are we as uh, the proof of our pudding is in our actions. It's not just what I say, it's how I live my life. Jesus is informing them of two things as he's looking here. One, that there's an expectation for that tree. And number two, there's an inspection of that tree. We see that very easily when Jesus goes to the fig tree and he examines it and he expects fruit to come from it. And when he walks up to the tree, remember near the end, right before he's crucified? On, on, on that, on, I think it's on the Monday after Palm Sunday. He goes to get some fruit and it's not there and he curses the tree. So in the same way, think just as you and I go, I have a lemon tree in the back. I, I'm going to expect that it's going to have lemons. And if I go to inspect those lemons and they're no good, then I'm going to see something's wrong with the tree or if the branches are, are broken or the leaves are withering. Or if I go to my lemon tree and all of a sudden I inspected the fruit and it's oranges, I know something drastic has happened. So here, before we go on, here's the mindset. Is in your, if you say that you're a son of the Most High, if you're a Christian, there is an expectation for one who, call, who professes to be a Christian. 
And here's the thing. Not only is there an expectation, but one day there's an inspection. There's an inspection. So we learn as we continue this, that there's an inspection. He now takes that principle and he applies it to biblical discernment. As we look at verse 45, whether it's in your Bible or in your monitor there of Luke 6. He goes, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. So we learn that a good person will bear good treasure. An evil person will bear evil treasure. Each person is unique and can be identified by their attitudes and actions. Each person can only bear that which is already in their heart. So Christian, we can be identified and observed as we said here even today that there will be an expectation and an inspection. And just as we can identify the nature of the tree through our five senses, we can identify the nature of a person by observing their actions and attitudes. Now, I'm going to say this at the beginning and we'll finish it up. But there are many people today who would say, yes, I am a Christian. And when I die, I'll go to heaven. And you may ask them, well, what is your proof of that? How do you know that to be a truth? Well, when I was in Sunday school, when I was in VBS or junior church, I said a prayer. And I asked, finish this phrase, I asked Jesus into my heart. Parents, I think we ought to take that phrase and we need to retire it. There is a group of pastors and churches that believe that all that you have to do is you have to ask Jesus in your heart for 30 seconds. And afterwards, you can go on and live your life any way you want. But as long as you said that prayer at one time, you're saved. And it doesn't matter how you live your life. Jesus has warned us against that. I tell you all the time, when I, I remember when I would struggle as a teenager with whether or not I was saved. I had this big old Bible that my mom had given me and under my Bible she had written September uh, 10th, 1972. That was the day that I went forward and got saved at my church, junior church. Lila Erickson was the teacher. And I can always remember that because it was always in the front of my Bible. So if I always struggled, what do I do? Well, I go to my Bible. Well, there is no truth in that. That was the date that I said a prayer. Now, could that have been true? It could have been. To be honest, if you look at my life, from that moment on, I would say no. So as we go on here, parents, I want to encourage you. Let's not take a date. Let's not take something as simple. If that is what you're banking your eternal security on, you may find that you will lose much in the inspection of your life. You see, now it's true that Jesus has warned his disciples about hypocritically judging and condemning others. So I'm not doing that as I say that you may not have it really truly have Jesus in your heart. By the way, that's an unbiblical phrase. I'm not sure where it comes from. However, we're not called to be judged and condemn and make moral judgments about others. But however, we are called to be fruit inspectors and fruit inspectors. Did I say the same word twice or did I get two different words? We're to be fruit inspectors and fruit inspectors. I think I said that right. I can't get it in my head. It comes out the same way. In other words, I should expect Christ-like mind and Christ-like behavior 
And one day we should be able to inspect that. The Apostle Paul warns us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for we must all appear for the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. One day we will stand before God and there will be that final inspection. However, just like one who observes a tree will inspect the tree with the expectation of receiving good edible fruit, men and, men and women will one day undergo the same type of expectation and inspection. But I'm here to tell you that part of that inspection and expectation is here today. For that is the purpose of one of the purposes of the church. What is important for us to notice that there's an expectation of the Son of God that we produce good treasure. And that we are incapable of producing anything other than what is in our hearts. In verse 43, when Jesus speaks of good, he is referring to that which is proper and beautiful. While in verse 45, when he uses that word good, it's a different Greek word that refers to one who does what is proper and beautiful. Now, this is in contrast to that which is bad or unhealthy, meaning unfit or unedible or rotten to its core. So as we consider what Christ has taught us so far about how the children of God will respond radically different from the world, we must understand that this can only be accomplished if we abandon self-love as John Calvin taught us. And it only can come from a heart that has been changed. It can only come from a heart that is healthy. We can only love our enemies, do good to those who hate us, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse us, surrender all of our rights to retaliation revenge and reparation, to reject judgmental and condemning spirits, to embrace generous forgiveness. These are all things that he has been teaching up to this point. We can only do that with a changed heart. If our hearts are good, yes, we may be able to produce some well-intentioned, self-righteous attitudes and behaviors if we really, truly tried. There are good people out there that do not know Christ. But eventually, we will fail any and all deep inspection of our heart by God. Eventually, our hearts will betray our true nature. You cannot hide what an orange tree is. You cannot hide an unbeliever. And you should not be able to hide if you're truly a professing Christian. So this would be a good time for you and I to consider exactly what does the Bible mean when we speak of our hearts. For, for the world and for us, the heart means many different things. The New American Commentary notes that the heart is the inner being of an individual out of which our attitudes and our values come from. One of, has called the heart the seat of our emotions. It's where our anger and our love, joy and our peace comes from. Jesus is connecting now here our behavior and our hearts. You cannot separate the two is what Jesus is teaching. We live out what is in our hearts. Now we can define behavior. So think of a behavior. Behavior are the words, the emotions, and the actions that others see. So these are the visible things. These are the things they see, they hear. The things that, that come out of us, that they experience. Now the heart though is the fountain of what you and I treasure and value. And what that means, what you and I truly worship. What we desire and what our thoughts are. You remember I was talking last week about our, 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 our what is it, our values 
or desires, our, our expectations and so on and so forth with fries. So you can kind of see it. I love fries. When I go, I, I desire as much fries as I can. My expectation is that the amount of fries that I ordered uh, meet the size of the container that they give me. And when they do not, that's when I get angry. All right? What's coming out of my heart? You're showing what I value, what I worship. Lots of fries. And so in the same way, as you and I are struggling in our Christian life, as we're living out our life, what's happening is when you get angry, when someone does your wrong, you're showing what you value. You're actually showing who, what you worship. So that's your heart. It shows you what you worship. It shows you, it exposes what your desires are. It exposes your thoughts. Those thoughts that you keep hidden, that you, you keep from trying to go out in your behavior. John Owen writes that the heart is the source of the motives, the seat of the passions, the center of our thought process, the spring of our conscience. Theologian A. Craig Taroxel in his book, With All Your Heart, great book, notes that the word translated in the heart is used over a thousand times in scriptures. It's one of the words used mostly in scripture and it consists of the mind and desires. He writes this, to put it another way, the heart includes what we know. It's our knowledge, it's our thoughts, intentions, our ideas, our meditations, our memory, and our imagination. But it's also our love, what we want, what we seek and feel, what we yearn for. But then it's also our will, it's our, our choices. Whether we'll resist or submit to those desires, to those thoughts. Whether we'll be weak or strong. Whether we'll say yes or no. In other words, he says that the heart is the governing center of a person. It's, it's everything there. Your heart is you. Paul Tripp, a Christian, Christian counselor, writes that the heart is the real you. It's the essential core of who you are. Scripture uses, in the Old Testament, many times it uses, and especially in King James, you may see the bowels. He was moved in his bowels. Now, that's not talking about a gas problem. It's talking about the center of his emotions. It's talking about the heart. Many of us may say it's our mind because that's where all these things happen. It's the same thing. It's the real you. Jesus warns his disciples in Matthew chapter 15. He says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from where? The heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. What's sad is many people will profess Christ and their life, their behavior, their thoughts are manifested with these types of things. But yet they say, but I, I'm a Christian. But yet their lives are not marked by Christian thoughts and values and desires. Pastor Dan Na, here in Orange, writes of the hearts. Speaking of this verse, you'll see it here on the slide. It says that the hearts has thoughts. In Genesis 8, 21, God tells Noah, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. It has thoughts. <clears throat> we think bad things. We think good things. We think uh, of, of all sorts of things. The Bible tells us that our heart is intentionally evil from our youth. Number two, he writes that the heart has desires. And this is what drives our motivations, our behaviors. These are the things many times we have to ask yes or no. Am I weak or am I strong? Because these desires many times can become overwhelming. 
these ruling desires at the root of our sinful behavior. James writes in James 4, why is there quarrels? Why is there fights among you? He says, because you have and you have not. Your passions are at war within you. And then thirdly, the heart assigns values. This drives desires and thoughts and serves as a filter to show what you truly worship. Jesus taught in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there is where your heart is also. So thoughts, desires, values. And so these things are our hearts and it drives us. And so God is saying, as, a son, as sons of God, there are some expectations from your thoughts, your desires, and your values. And I will inspect these things. We will be able to tell whether your profession of faith is true or not. And with all of this mind, Jesus is telling us that a student will never learn more than his teacher. To learn more, he must seek a new teacher. The fruit can be no healthier than the tree, and no man can be better than his heart. The key for us in this passage is to notice that in all three cases, the problem is not necessarily in the teacher, the tree, or the person, but in the nature. It's in the source, not necessarily in the product. You and I have it backwards. Many times we're looking at the product, forgetting of the source. You see, the fruit reveals the nature of the, of, the, of the root. And this is what you may want to write down, is that the fruit reveals the nature of the root, and the heart is the root of our life. Just as the tree, its life staining is in the root. If the roots are bad, the tree will bad. It will produce unhealthy. If it is good and healthy, it will produce that which is healthy. Now, you and I can try to make things better, right? We do that in our relationships, either with our spouses, uh, you know, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, maybe with our employers, maybe with our family, our children. We try to make things better. We try to be better teachers, students, leaders, children of God. Yet in the end, it's our very own nature that causes our product to be bad, to be unhealthy and to be rotten. In other words, you cannot expect it to be different. So very quickly, let's consider what scripture has to say about the heart, about the root of our life. The Bible informs us that you and I are sinful, totally depraved and unable to change ourselves. You'll see some verses here. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above what? All things and is desperately sick, evil. Who can understand it? In Psalms, David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. What is he saying there? From my very early birth and conception, my nature, the root of my heart was evil. Matthew, Jesus says, hear and understand what goes in the mouth is not what defiles a person, but what comes out of his mouth. But what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. It's not what goes in, but what comes out. Proverbs 23, 7, I think you see it. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 20, 11, even a child makes, him so, no, makes himself known by his actions, by whether his conduct is pure and upright. We can tell very quickly. In Romans 8, 7 through 8, I don't think I have that one up. You may want to write that down. This is important. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. 
See, you and I, our natural state in birth is that our minds are set at odds with God. We are hostile in mind. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. For millennia, men have instituted religions, rituals, rules, and regulations in order to change their behavior and to shape their minds to make a better society. We're, we're always trying to create something to make us better because we understand, we recognize that there's something wrong with us. Yet we fail each time. That is the problem with secular psychology. Secular counseling, psychiatry, and penal solutions, speaking of our prison systems, they all focus on behavior modification to change a person, to produce a better outcome in, in, in their patients, their clients, and prisoners. Even parents have been caught up in this futile cycle of trying to change a child's behavior rather than getting to the root of the problem. It's their heart that needs to be changed. If they're dishonoring you, if they're disobeying you, it may not be in a tablet. It may not be in whether or not they ate breakfast. Those can be obviously factors in there. But in the end, it's in their hearts. You take all those things away, is their heart changed? No. They just find new ways of disobeying, of dishonoring. Biblical counselors Lane and Tripp in their book, How to Change People, or How People Change, writes this. It's here, it's on the monitor. It's a little bit longer, so I wanted to make sure that you saw it and you consider it. <coughs> Excuse me, one moment. They write that a behavioral approach to change is hollow. Trying to change someone's behavior is hollow because it ignores the need for Christ and the power to change first the heart then the behavior. The Bible passages that emphasize the need for new behavior are all built on the foundation of God's grace at work to change our hearts through the power of the Spirit. The Word and the Spirit work together, enable us to see Christ in all of His power and mercy, and this leads to a heart change at the level of what we worship and cherish at any moment. So if you're struggling with your spouse, if you're struggling with someone at work, the issue isn't so much the behavior, it's the root. It's the nature of their hearts. And so what you and I can do is we cannot change someone's heart. We must look and pray for Christ to change their heart. So here's the crux of the problem. As you and I are looking at what Jesus says, when he says, I expect you to act as sons of God, and, and there's an inspection, you need to pass this. So here's the crux. You are trying to be loving. You are trying to be kind and generous, forgiving. And sometimes it seems to work. Only you fail yourself, find, find yourself back to square one when a new incident happens or an old fire flames up, right? We forgive our spouse. We forgive someone who's done harm to us. And we think things are going on, but then yet what happens? Another issue, another incident. And there it goes right back the same cycle. The problem is, is we are trying to do better. Yet our heart and nature is the same. What's that? I just came up with this, so I'm going to get it wrong. I didn't write it down. Is, what's, the, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Something of that nature. And many times that's what's happening in our lives. 
You say, why, why, haven't my, why hasn't my life changed? Why am I not uh, seeing the blessings of God? I, I asked Jesus in my heart when I was four years old. But your life is marked by the values and the thoughts of the world. My friend, I have to say that you're probably not a Christian. Your profession of faith is not true. You have been deceived in thinking if you say this, if you repeat this, or if you act this way. I went to a Christian school and they did a great job of telling me how a Christian walks and talks. They taught me the language. They taught me how to, how to look and dress and how to act. Did that make me a Christian? It's like a, what do they call a pig with lipstick. You can still kiss it, but it's still going to taste like a pig. Once you take a look at the mirror, or the mirror, look at the monitor. You can look at the mirror also, God's word. I don't know if you can see that as well. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. This comes from uh, the three trees by CCEF, Dave Paulison. He's a biblical counselor. It's called the three trees, and I don't know how well you see it, but you see there, it's probably then on my left. So yeah, probably, on, no, no, I'm sorry, on your right. On your right, you'll see that there's a tree. It's not a very good looking tree. It's an unhealthy tree. And then there you see a, a bad root. This is what do you want? What do you believe? What do you value? What do you think? What, are, what is it that you know and feel? What's in your heart? The problem is, is that root is bad. And so you see the bad fruit is how you react. And you say, what do you mean how we react? Well, you see is the sun. The sun is the heat. And when heat comes in your life, someone has, there's an enemy. And we're talking about what Jesus just spoke about. Someone curses you. Someone persecutes you. Someone retaliates against you. Someone is seeking revenge. You're, you're finding yourself in the heat of the moment. How do you respond? Do you respond with anger? Do you get back at him? Do you retaliate? Do you seek revenge? Do you look for reparation? Typically, that's what we do. Well, that's what you're going to get with bad fruits. Because the, the heart is bad. So the heat comes on. How do you respond? Now, now, on the other side, you'll see that there is a good tree. You can see it, it's healthy. It's got fruit. But you see that the heart, the root, has been changed. How has it been changed? By that tree in the middle. The gospel. Where Christ comes and changes our heart. So the expectation of the bad root and the bad tree is going to be bad fruit. I, I expect that. But if I'm looking at the good tree, the healthy tree, the one whose root has been changed, the heart has been changed, I expect good fruit. So when the heat comes and a Christian couple is fighting, there may be some anger. What also should I see? Some generous forgiving, some grace, some love. Some long suffering. So let me ask, when heat is coming on in your life, how are you responding? And the reason I say this is not saying that you're not a Christian. But if nine times out of ten, you're responding with bad fruit, then it's time for you to do some inspection. Because you're not expecting the right things of God. God's given us a warning there. What is the heat that's in your life? How are you responding? Is the fruit that's coming out of you, is it good fruit? When someone takes and, 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 and cuts in front of you on the 91 and the 57, or they won't let you in your lane, when that heat is on, what type of fruit are you giving? Are you saying, God bless you, I pray God gives you safety? Or is it the one bird salute? What are you doing? Sorry to be so graphic, forgive me. Maybe that's bad fruit coming from my mind as well. 
For a young person, when your father says and your parents say, don't do this, you can't do this or go to bed, how do you respond? I'm always surprised when we as Christians are surprised when the world produces wrong fruits. Why are we surprised when sinners act like sinners? It's what we should expect. Any inspection of their life is going to prove that. What surprises me more is when people who profess Christ fail that inspection. When I expect good fruit from them and it doesn't come forth. That should be more of a warning to us. So let me ask you, what do you expect from your heart? When the heat comes and the fruit, the behaviors, the, remember the thoughts, the imaginations, the things you may not say but you want to say, maybe it's your verbal, maybe it's the rage that comes in, maybe it's the hitting of walls, maybe it's the throwing of things. What do you expect from your heart? Are you getting what you expect? Is your spouse getting what they expect? Are your children The Bible tells us that the good tree bears healthy fruit. Theologian Daryl Bach writes this. I believe it's on the monitor. Is it? I think it's, I think it's a two-parter. Yeah, it is. Thank you, Ben. He writes this. In the end, disciples are to reflect what? Good character. Our relationship with God is to produce good fruit. The fruit reveals the nature of the root. For each tree is recognized by its own fruit. Bad trees do not produce good fruit, nor good trees produce bad fruit. To judge a tree's fruit, he writes, we do not look at one particular moment, but a period of production. I'll say a little bit more about that in a moment. The product of the life reflects the heart. Let me say that. The product of your life reflects the heart. The product of our discipleship reflects our inner character, what Jesus calls the treasure of our heart. It reveals what you and I truly worship. The value of our speech and action is determined by the quality of the soul that produces them. In other words, works are a snapshot of the heart. So what do you need to do? The question I have to say is, do you inspect your own heart? Are you in the practice of inspecting your own heart? Now, you and I are good fruit inspectors of others, our spouses, our partners, our children, our parents. We're good fruit inspectors when it comes to others. But how are you in discerning your own fruits? I'll give you three things. <clears throat> First, this is what you need to inspect. First, you need a new heart. This is what the new covenant promises. It's a result of the gospel where we understand uh, of God who created all things so that he may be the object, the supreme object of our admiration. However, we come to the fall. We know that we have rebelled against him. So our nature now is corrupt. It's depraved that we desire. We're hostile towards God. But yet in that, he still made a promise to send a substitute, Jesus, to pay the penalty of our sin. And then it's our response to Jesus as our substitutionary sacrifice. It's the acceptance of the gospel that makes one have a new heart, that makes us born again, not saying a prayer, 
not raising our hand, going forward or being baptism or being born into a Christian family, graduating from a Christian school, having your parents as a Christian. It doesn't rub off that way. So you and I, it's how we respond to the truths of Scripture. Yahweh declares in Ezekiel 11, you'll see it here on the monitor. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statues and keep my rules and obey them. That's what you and I need. We need that new heart. They shall be my people and I will be their God as God's wonderful promises. So you and I need a new heart. And if you do not have a new heart, you need to do that today. You need to come and respond to the truths of Scripture that God has accepted the works of Christ on our behalf, recognizing that you're a sinner, that you need a Savior, and that Jesus is that substitute, willingly given His life for us, and God's grace is given to us. Once you have done that, secondly, you need to guard your heart. You need to guard your heart. King Solomon, the wisest man other than Jesus to walk on this earth, learned this lesson the very hard way. When he writes in Proverbs 4.23, you see it here on the monitor. Keep your heart with diligence, for, for, for from it flows the springs of life. I, I like the King James Version a little bit better. Guard your heart, for from it is the wellspring of life. Uh, you, many of you have heard me tell the story of, uh, I had the opportunity back in the 90s, to go to the headwaters of the Mississippi. Anyone here ever seen the Mississippi in person? Uh, it is an amazing, amazing river. I mean, it is truly the mighty, muddy Mississippi. It, I've been on there. I've camped on the water. It is, it is wonderful. I've transgressed, transgressed. But one year we got to go to the headwaters. That's where it comes from. Now, if you've ever been, obviously, to Saint, uh, to I'm sorry, um, to uh, uh, Louisiana. Uh, to New Orleans, I believe it is, you'll see how big the, it, it, the mouth of it is. But going then up through and taking it all the way through Illinois and all the way up to Minnesota, you find then the headwaters were so small, it was in this little park that I was able to actually step over the mighty Mississippi. You can't do that anywhere else. It was really amazing to see it historically. And it was just bubbling up from the ground with some rocks, and I was able just to step over to it. Now, could you imagine someone trying to destroy or to divert the mighty Mississippi? You couldn't do it today. Well, I guess they've done it with channels and things of that nature, but you can do something to headwaters, the source of it. In this case, you and I need to guard from our heart. What you and I try to do is we try to modify our behavior. But that's not what you need. You need to guard the source, the heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Far and far from it is the springs of life. The problem is, is you and I are not vigilant. We are allowing things to come in. What's that term for, for computers? G-I-G-O. Garbage in, garbage out, right? You don't get anything out of a computer other than what you put in. But all of a sudden, you and I are wondering, why is this swear word coming out of your mouth? Why, why am I thinking of this woman in, in this type of way? Why am, I, why am I lusting after this? Or why am I getting angry? Well, you and I are spending hours allowing garbage in, whether it's through different types of media, Netflix, TV, others. We're hearing it all the time, right? Sometimes it's just in our workplace. And then we wonder, why is it coming out? Well, it's because we're filling that garbage in and eventually it's going to find itself out, even in the most purest of Christians. We'll struggle with that. We're not guarding our heart. We're not sitting there. We're like Adam. We're allowing the snake in the garden. 
Adam was so poor at his job that he had to be kicked out and God had to put two guard, two guard angels there with flaming swords. That's your life. You're asleep at the wheel, at the guardhouse, allowing whatever to traps it through your heart. We're not guarding it. When we guard our heart, we are vigilantly keeping it by reading and studying and meditating and applying God's word. That's what he tells us, let all these things, he says in, in uh, um, Philippians, whatsoever is, is true, honest, pure, lovely, of good report, there being a virtue, if there be any praise, do what? Think on these things. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. We need to guard our heart. I think that's where many Christians fail. And so your, your, your roots may be good and changed, but yet you're saying, why am I still having bad product or bad product come out? Well, it's because you still have that flesh. And you need to keep it. You need to hold it. You need to kill it. Be killing sin, John, John Owen says, or sin will be killing you. And many of you know that. Many of you could stood up today if you had the, the courage to say, yeah, sin is, has killed me, destroyed my life, destroyed a marriage, destroyed a job. Sin will take you further than you ever want to go. It will cost you more than you ever want to pay, is an old phrase. So not only do you need a new heart, then we need to guard our heart. Thirdly, you need to restore your heart when you fail. And let me tell you, you and I as Christians will fail. So here's, the, here's where we need discernment. Okay, There are going to be times when we're going to be looking and expecting good fruit to come out of someone who professes Christ. And when we inspect them, we see that, well, they're, they're anger. They're gossiping. That, that, that's not something a Christian ought to do. Here's what we need to understand is God does restore the heart. We still will fail. When you fail and you will, we need to repent and confess our sin. For that's what's expected. If I were to look into the halls of your mind, I'm sure that you would be surprised or I wouldn't be, or I wouldn't be surprised what might be in there. We want to hide that, right? What's in our hearts. But God says the one most wonderful things he gives us is God's grace. King David, after the death of his son, due to his sin with Bathsheba and then the murdering of her husband, cries out in Psalms 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This should be our prayer each and every evening and morning. Because we will fail. We will fail to guard our hearts. But he says you will be restored. Because one thing I should expect of a Christian is repentance. We saw that in that picture. Is that the heart must have repentance and confession. In summary, let's again consider the words of Daryl Bach when he writes, To judge a tree's fruit, we don't look at one particular moment, but a period of production. The product of the life reflects the heart. So here's where I want to be careful because I want to be careful and, and warn us of judgmental condemning attitudes because there may be some that, that profess to be Christ, but when you and I look at them, they're, they're struggling in their marriage. Maybe there was a devastating sin in their life. Maybe a Christian failed big time, maybe even to immorality, to adultery, to fornication. Maybe it's to drugs, maybe it's to alcohol. And we say, well, there's no way that they can be a Christian. Well, however, wait, God tells us to expect and inspect with wise discernment. There can be any point in someone's life where they're going through something that is not reflective of what's truly God's doing in their life. If you were to take my bad worst moments, you would never let me up here to preach. 
And beyond, let me be honest, there are times when those moments that I'm aware of, I don't want to come up and preach and teach. And I want to stay away from passages like this. That's what happens when you go through a book, but you can't skip passages. We just have to go at them. So in the same way, if I were to look at a tree and say, boy, that, that tree doesn't look healthy, well, well, maybe it just needs some pruning. Maybe the root is good, but maybe there's just some bugs on the outside and I need to take care of it before they get down to the root, right? So let's do that wisely. Let, let's not be, as some Christians say, that we're the only army that shoots its wounded. We're to give grace and love. Church discipline, actually, is that's what it's about. That we may prove the root of their heart. There may be a point in their life, a snapshot of their life. Let's not judge a person by those moments. Let's give grace. Let's give forgiveness. We are not need. Now here's the end. I'm, I'm near the end. I know you've been so patient. Thank you. We are not in need of just behavior modification and attitude adjustments. Uh, adjustments. That's what we always, he's in need of an attitude adjustment. Right before we get ready to whoop with somebody. Well, that's not what they need. Well, they may need that, but that's not going to solve the issue. You know, someone, you go up to someone and says, man, he has a face that looks like he just needs to be slapped. So what was I to do? Doesn't work. We don't need that, at least not the way the world thinks. They need a new heart, a new nature. John the Baptist preached in Luke chapter 3, verse 8. We saw this last year. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. For those of you who said, I have repented, then there is an expectation that you will bear good, healthy fruit. And let me tell you, there will be an inspection. If not by your pastor and your church, but by your children, by your wife, by your spouse. In the end, by Christ. The world is inspecting it. They're trying to see if you're following God's word. And to help us to do this, God has given us three wonderful gifts so that you and I may walk uh, may not walk alone in this journey. See, that's the problem. We want to walk by ourselves. And here I'm at the end. He has some amazing tools to help us to expect our own hearts. Number one is the Holy Spirit. He is the guarantor of our salvation. He is the one who leads and teaches us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He regenerates our hearts, makes us born again. He guides us in the way everlasting and he comforts us in troubles. He's the one whose spirit yearns with us speaks to us. So we have the Holy Spirit. He changes our hearts and he keeps us walking. Number two, it's the word of God. The word of God reveals to us all things that God expects and requires of his children. It tells us what fruit he expects. Galatians 5, 24, 25, 25, 26. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, goodness, meekness. It directs our hearts towards obedience. And here's a surprising one. What's that third way that we inspect not only my fruit, your fruit, other Christians' fruit? Ready? It's called the church. You knew I was going to get there. The church of God. God has ordained that the church would hold the keys of the kingdom and is tasked with the great commission that makes known the wonderful great mysteries of God to the world. Membership is an important feature of the church whereby the children of God, we covenant together to encourage one another, hold one another account, accountable and comfort one another. So give you an example for our churches is, is we're not a denominational church. We encourage you to come and accept Christ. And I pray if you have not, please do so today. 
The next step is then we call people to baptism. Baptism is a step that says, I am a Christian. It's a public confession of telling your friends, your loved ones, I am a Christian. But to be honest, the way our church works at this moment, we can let you do that and we'll baptize people, but that doesn't make you a member of the church. But we call you to the next step. Because all you did was make a profession of faith. So now we need to call you to a membership where we expect it and inspect it. Not only for our good and for God's glory, but for your good. To know that you're walking in that way. To call an account when you don't act that way. That's the purposes of membership. And I call you, if you have not done that, you need to do so today. The Bible calls us to do that. Submit to your elders. Uh, um, pray for your elders. Uh, come in together to bear one another's burdens. We're called to do these 65 one another's together so that we may know. The Bible tells us that us as elders will one day give account. And so membership is one way for, for Landon, for Randy, and for I to know who will, who, who will I have to give an account for? Well, those who have come it together that we inspect and expect together. See, here's the warning. You need to do this. You need to understand Christ's words. For in Matthew 7, 19, in his Sermon on the Mount, he goes on to say, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He will do an inspection. 1 Corinthians 3 tells us, uh, 10 through 15, what the inspection will be like for the Christian. In Revelation, we see the inspection or the result of the inspection for those that do not know Christ. For they will spend eternity in the lake of fire. That's why this is so important. That's why this challenge, you must reconsider it, respond to it this morning. So ask yourself this question as we close. Do I bear fruit unto God's glory? You all bear fruit. Actions, behaviors, thoughts. But do you bear fruit unto God's glory. Who do you value? Who do you worship? I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come up. Every eye is closed, every head bowed. And I also ask, I think, believe Randy, you have pastor's prayer. If you'd come on up. As we just close with these words, would you take a moment to pause? Consider what Jesus says today. Not so much what I say, but what Jesus had to say this morning. Would you pray and ask the spirit, how do you want me to respond? Maybe it's you need a new heart. And so you need to say, Lord, change my heart. Give me that new heart. Maybe it's, Lord, help me to be vigilant, to guard my heart. Maybe you haven't done that. Maybe that's a commitment. Maybe now your cry is, Lord, I've been failing and I just need you to restore my heart. It's in pain, it's suffering, and I need your help. And either way, would you come to him today? For there is an expectation for the sons of God, sons and daughters of God. And there one day there is an inspection. May you be found faithful and good. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your love. Randy? We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.